talked about Isaiah um, and hope in Jesus. And this week we look at um, Matthew mostly, um, who talks about hope in the kingdom of heaven, which is our title this morning, Hope in the Kingdom of Heaven. Two books we're going to cover. We're going to cover Zechariah and we're going to cover Matthew. And Zechariah is one of the last books of the Old Testament. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And if you don't uh, know the timetable of it all, the Old Testament ends and there's about 450 years until any books have been written for the New Testament. So there's this big, giant gap of silence in between. Now, Zechariah spoke of a king to come. The Messiah, the, the one that the, the Jewish people were hoping for, would be a king. In Zechariah 14.90 says the Lord will be king over all the earth. Now, Matthew, that's significant because Matthew writes his gospel, and he says basically that Jesus is that king. That's the, that's the significance there, and that's why these two books are together. There were 450 years or so between them where there was no books written that were inspired by the Word of God and I say that according to Protestant Christians. Um, and, and, uh, um, but in the midst of, of that time, there was a lot of anticipation. A lot of anticipation for the coming Messiah. Um, that's a lot of years of, of silence. If, if you've ever waited for, for something to come about, something to happen, someone to come, I, I recall uh, as, a, as a boy... Um, waiting, uh, having a lot of anticipation whenever my father um, would come and pick me up. And the reason for that is because my parents were divorced when I was two, and so I didn't live with my dad. I lived with my mother, my stepfather, my brother, and my sister. And um, oftentimes, I've, I mentioned this before, we lived all over the state of Michigan, and there were many years when I was little that I lived a good three hours from my dad. And so when I knew that my dad was going to come get me, I would have great anticipation. I could barely sleep the night before. And I can't tell you how many times I probably, the day he was going to come, looked out my window waiting for him to pull in the driveway to come get me. And then when he did, I would give him a big, big hug because I hadn't seen him in a long time. Um, Whenever I'm gone for more than a few hours, my son, um, whenever I come back home, will greet me with a big hug. And so there's that anticipation that grows within us when we can't wait to see someone. And you understand now, I hope, that great anticipation that the people had for the Messiah, the promised Messiah. Um, when would he come? When would he be there? We were, they were waiting and waiting, and really 450 years, think about it, that's a long time to wait. After a while, you start to think, well, is he ever going to come? You know, that kind of thing. So there was a, a lot of anticipation. But here's the thing. They knew, they should have known, what to look for, because they had a lot of details. In the Old Testament, there's like 300 prophecies, details, about this coming Messiah, this person that would come. So many details that it's really impossible, I should say, for a person to 
accidentally fulfill every single prophecy that you see. Like a tornado hitting a junkyard and assembling a brand new car. It's just not comprehensible, right? I mean, it's not possible. Kind of like one species turning into another, but don't let me go there. That's a whole other subject if you pick up what I'm laying down there. The prophecies of the Old Testament predicting the Messiah would be many things, would do many things, but in this case today, that he would be a king. A king. And Zechariah shares some of those prophecies. Zechariah 9.9, I'll bring it on the screen for you. You can mark it in your Bible. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, Jesus entered Jerusalem many times, but there was one time he entered with some pizzazz. He entered in on a donkey to fulfill this very prophecy. It says it in Matthew 21 too. He told his disciples, go in the village. In that village, you'll find a man who has a donkey. You'll find a donkey tied up. Untie it and just bring it to me. And then he rode in on this donkey. And you might recall, there were massive crowds because at this point, Jesus was extremely famous. He had quite a following. Massive crowds. And they were singing, Hosanna. Hosanna, the son of David. They gave him the red carpet treatment. They laid down palm branches and their cloaks. And, and, and he just rode in on this donkey like a king would, returning from war. That's how the kings would return. He was a king. But God had a different plan. Jesus wouldn't establish his kingdom back 2,000 years ago because he had another plan, a plan that involves our salvation. But that plan also involves betrayal. Because you might recall that Jesus was betrayed by one of his own followers named Judas Iscariot. And he betrayed him for how much money? 30 pieces of silver. That's right. Matthew 27, verse 9, it says, Matthew writes, It's fulfilled, which had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, They took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel. Now, I want to give you a little clarification, because I thought you were talking about Zechariah, Pastor Matt. What are you, what are you, what are you quoting Jeremiah for? But here's the thing, all right? There were scrolls that had multiple prophets on them. And the scroll of Jeremiah, they would call it Jeremiah because he was the first prophet on the scroll. The scroll of Jeremiah also had Zechariah and his writings on it. And so when Matthew was quoting Jeremiah, he's really quoting the scroll of Jeremiah which also had Zechariah. And the reason why I know that is because I read to you Zechariah 11.13, where Zechariah said, The Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Zechariah also stated something that Jesus mentioned. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. You might recall that particular verse. Sometimes during the week when I'm up here um, doing different things that pastors do during the week, I know you just think I only work one hour a week, but really, 
I work all the time, all right? I'm up here. And sometimes Chrissy and Justin's uh, kids are up here running around. You heard, them, heard Chrissy earlier yelling at her kids, sit down, Hunter, Leanne. Well, sometimes Hunter likes to follow me around, you know, when I'm up here. And so every once in a while, I'll stop in my tracks, I'll turn around, and I'll be like, roar! And he'll scream, and he runs away. I have to be careful. Sometimes he runs in the chairs. So. But he runs just like the disciples ran when the shepherd was struck. You see, in Matthew 26, verse 31, Jesus said, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of flock will be scattered. Another prophecy fulfilled by Jesus from Zechariah. All the prophecies Jesus fulfilled of the Messiah. He was a prophet uh, from God, uh, Zechariah was. Jesus spoke actually of Zechariah. So this is kind of how we know a prophet is from God is that their prophecies were fulfilled, and the New Testament authors, Jesus in particular, in this case, mentions him. And what's interesting about how he mentions him is that he points out he's the last martyr of the Old Testament. The last martyr of the Old Testament. In Matthew 23, uh, verse 35, if you look at that with me, it says, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the first martyr, the blood of the righteous Abel, that's Adam and Eve's son, to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barachia, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. And I think the reason why that's significant, if you're really into um, uh, the books that should be in the Old Testament, are inspired in the Old Testament, Jesus basically is saying, from the first book to the last book. From the first martyr to the last martyr. And basically he's saying that is the Old Testament. From Genesis all the way through Zechariah, and then of course um, uh, Malachi being the final book of the Old Testament. So there are some other books that are uh, mentioned called the Apocrypha, um, but they are not considered to be the inspired word of God, and that's one a bit of evidence that Jesus points out. little history for you, if you will. As I said, uh, 450 years goes between Zechariah and Matthew. And they anticipated the Messiah. And a lot of people didn't believe it was going to happen, ever. Um, I think we're kind of like that right now. A lot of Christians. Because we are told that Jesus is coming back. And so sometimes we sort of live our life in limbo, if you will. Some Christians live in limbo. And because we live in the midst of a pandemic right now, you know what it's like to live in limbo, don't you? It's a weird feeling. Like our state just entered this partial lockdown again, three weeks. Last time they told us it was two weeks and it went months, right? So we're kind of in this limbo, living in limbo. It's hard to plan anything Right? You don't want to get your hopes up. Um, you don't like isolating yourself. It's kind of depressing. Um, and let's be honest, masks are really annoying, are they not? All right? They're hard to wear those all day long. Limbo is not this fun place to be. We want things to go back to normal, and they probably will. Right? I was just reading an article back in 1918 when they had the Spanish flu, 
right? They, they, really, the same thing you're being told right now is exactly the same thing they were told back in 1918, right? And, we didn't wear masks from 1918 to 2020. So it's going to stop at some point. We know this. But here's the thing. Are we living in limbo as Christians right now? Are Christians living in limbo? Because it's been 2,000 years since Jesus said, I'll be back, before Arnold Schwarzenegger ever said that, right? <laughs> Christians, I believe, should live with urgency not live in limbo, like we're just going to keep going and nothing's ever going to change. Matthew coined a phrase, if you will. He's kind of unique for saying it. It's the title of the message, Kingdom of Heaven. It's, it's, it's repeated or it's, it's said like 30 times in the Gospel of Matthew. I don't know if you ever realized that or not. The Kingdom of Heaven. He mentions this over and over and over again. And I think it's important. And, and we're going to see, we're going to look. That's our focus, is what is the kingdom of heaven? Who belongs in the kingdom of heaven? What should we be doing about the kingdom of heaven? Now, a few things about Matthew. Who is this guy named Matthew, right? He was a disciple of Jesus. But before he was a disciple, he was kind of a bad guy. He was kind of a, a, a problem for the Jewish people. I don't know if you know this or not. His name was Levi, actually, originally. We think Jesus gave him the name Matthew. And if you know what Matthew means, I know because it's my name. And the Hebrew meaning is gift from God. As if I needed something else to boost my ego. I'm a gift from God. Of course, I always thought that when I played basketball. You know, when I dunked over people, I was like, yeah, I'm a gift from God on the basketball court. Now I'm just old, I can barely touch the rim, but I can still touch the rim, I'm telling you. Matthew was a publican, which meant he was a tax collector. Now what's bad about that is, is that he collected taxes from his very own people and gave it to the Romans. And then he also charged extra so that he could make a living. He gouged his own people. So the Jewish people hated the tax collectors, the publicans. They looked down on them. They called them sinners for doing what he was doing. So Matthew had a lot of guilt about his lifestyle, about his job. But I tell you, all that guilt went away because God's grace is greater than any sin you could ever do. So if you came here this morning thinking, well, I'm too far gone. I've sinned too much, God would never forgive me. That's not true at all. God's grace can overcome any of your sins, and you just need to forgive. Ask God for forgiveness, and he will forgive you. God's grace is greater. Matthew found this out, and he wanted everybody else to know it, especially the Jewish people. So he wrote this, this gospel, this story of Jesus And he wanted to let everyone know that Jesus can save you. He wrote to that audience specifically, and he had all kinds of prophecies in it. He he quoted the Old Testament quite often, and he wanted everyone to know that Jesus was the king. He gave the genealogy that had to come from the line of David, because David was the king. And he wanted everyone to know that the king of all kings had been born. His name is Jesus. And so he kept using these words, the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he points out, that Jesus, when he started preaching, 
he said, the famous line, you might know it, you know, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he sent his disciples out in Matthew chapter 10, he says, proclaim to the people, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning it's near, it's now. Some people ask, does does that mean the kingdom of heaven has come to earth? And the answer to that is yes, because Jesus is the king who came to earth. At Christmas time, we sing about Emmanuel, and that means God is with us. Jesus, the king, came, God came to live with us. He came here, but he didn't stay here. He died for us, he was crucified but then he was resurrected, and he returned to heaven. He will come back. We'll get into this a little bit when we talk about Revelation in a few weeks. But he came, and then he left. And in the meantime, he's waiting on us. You might be like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? He's waiting on us. Well, I believe God is patient, and he doesn't want anyone to perish. I believe that because it's in the scripture. He doesn't want anybody to turn away from him, to to go to hell, if you will. He wants them to be in heaven. And the last chapter of Matthew, the last thing that Jesus said before he went back to heaven is, go and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey everything that I've taught you. That's our commission. That's the great commission. That's our calling. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. That's what we see the first church doing. They just shared their faith over and over again. They told people that Jesus is the Messiah. The kingdom of heaven is therefore waiting on you, on me. We have a job to do. In fact, in Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The kingdom of heaven is waiting for us to do our job, to do what we're called to do. And then it says in Matthew 24, 44, you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour you do not expect. No one can predict the time that it will happen, but there will be signs. So are you ready? Are you living with urgency? Or are you living in limbo? Are you just going about every day like it's never going to happen? The whole world needs to hear. That's why people sign up to be missionaries in Africa, in, in, to the ends of the earth, everywhere. Because they believe that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, has to be heard. Everybody has to hear it. And then Jesus will come back. So, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we have to share it. We have to live with urgency. And you should know, when you share it, it's the best, most important thing in the whole earth. I know that we think there's lots of things that we want to do in this world, but the most important thing, if we get this part right, everything else doesn't matter. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, he spoke a lot in parables, stories that he used. And actually, Barry was talking about why he spoke in parables, Isaiah you know, said, some people will get it and some people won't get it. Some people will hear it and get it, and some people will hear it and be like, I don't know what he just said. 
That's why he spoke in parables. Because those who can see it and hear it will believe and will follow me. Well, the kingdom of heaven, he says in a parable, is like treasure hidden in a field. And a man found it, covered it up, and then in his joy goes and sells all he has to buy the field, showing you the value of the kingdom of heaven. Nothing in this world is more important than your relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing. I know we think that it would be nice to have things and and money and possessions, and Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. There's two really great sermons in the book of Matthew. If you read chapters 5 through 7, that's called the Sermon on the Mount. If you read in the end, the the next big sermon, that's called the Olivet Discourse, because he on the Mount of Olivet, he shared that message. But in Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Right? Give, give uh, will change your heart. Give um, your, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And then he goes on to simply say, you can't serve God and money. So there's this, this connection that we have with God that's more important than anything else that we can have in this world. And then there's this one part that will be hard for some people to accept because some people love each other more than they love God. You love your spouse more than you love God. You love your children more than you love God. Jesus was encountered with this. They said, Jesus, your family's outside. He was inside preaching or healing or um, um, ministering, whatever he was, was doing. And they said, your family's outside. And he said, who's my family? My family is those who do the will of God. So our flesh and blood family, right, is not as important as our relationship with God. That's what he was saying there. So nothing can get in the way of that. The kingdom of heaven is more important than anything on earth. Now, who belongs in the kingdom of heaven? Who belongs in the kingdom of heaven? That's the question I want to answer. In Matthew 7, This is interesting what Jesus says. He says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. There will be a day when many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all kinds of good works for you? And I will actually say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This seems very harsh, doesn't it, what Jesus is saying here? Seems like, man, somebody's trying to do good things for the church, for for God, and you're telling me that that's not acceptable? Well, you've got to understand the context here. Jesus was referring to those who loved religion but didn't really love God. They loved religion, but they didn't love God. In fact, he'll come back to these really religious people in chapter 23, and all you horse lovers love chapter 23. If you love horses, you love chapter 23, because in chapter 23, that's all the woes. Whoa, whoa. Matthew 23, 13. I know, it's a dad joke. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you. He keeps saying it over and over again. But he says to them, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You don't go yourself, and you don't let others into the kingdom of heaven. 
Don't be like those people. Don't let religion mess up your relationship with God. Did you come today to worship God? That's what you need to do. You need to come to worship Him. You didn't come here for any other purpose but to worship God, and then you got it right. Jesus also told a nice parable of the wedding feast. Um, Kind of interesting. None of the expected guests showed up. You know, like if we had an agape feast, which we were supposed to have today, right? We kind of expect everybody from the church to come. But what if we got here and nobody came? Like, that would be strange. Well, he's saying that we expect religious people to come to God. We expect them to be in heaven. But they didn't come to the wedding feast. That's the picture of heaven. So the host invites people off the street. The rougher crowd, you know, the people you don't expect to be in heaven. I'll never forget when we first started Life of Purpose Church many years ago, we had a a man named William in our church, and he was full of tattoos. And then there was a a guest that came once, and and, uh, it was a guy I taught with and his wife, and she's like kind of was surprised that this guy was in the church worshiping, and he just looked like a rougher kind of guy. But she was delighted that it was the case. We don't expect, some people don't expect, the rougher crowd to make it uh, to heaven. In the end of this parable, Jesus points out that the host finds a person who's at the wedding feast, but doesn't have the correct attire, doesn't have the right clothes on. You think, well, what kind of clothes did he need? Like some kind of special um, you know, fur coat or something? You know, there weren't tuxedos back then. But the the clothing was the righteousness of Jesus. He didn't have the righteousness of Jesus. He didn't think he needed Jesus. That's the point of that parable. And off he went to this most crazy visual, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. What do you picture when you hear that, when you read that scripture? They're off to, to, to be with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Who else belongs in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus pointed out. The first will be last, and the last will be first, right? He tells this story of these workers in the vineyard, right? And these people agreed to work all day long for a day's worth of wage, a denarius. And then, though, he, he invites some other workers to come, and they only work for an hour, and he gives them the same wage. Well, this makes the people who worked all day long quite upset, right? And he says, don't begrudge God's generosity, don't be upset, right? Don't, d- d- be thankful. God's grace can save anyone at the last hour. That's really what we need to be thankful about. And if you ever thought you were too far gone, too much of a lost sinner for God to rescue, remember the song we sang, the last song, Matthew 18, 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, doesn't he leave the 99 on the mountains and goes in search of the one that went astray. So it will be the will of my Father who is in heaven that none or one of these little ones should not perish. Finally, Jesus addressed this, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Shouldn't it be the one who does the most good for God? That's what we think, right? That's how we think. Whoever does the most, the most holy ones, I always joke with 
uh, a pastor friend of mine, you know, we say, who's going to pray before we eat, share a meal together? And he always says, well, you're the most holy, you pray. Well, we joke back and forth. That doesn't matter. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 18, he calls a little child, a little Emerson, and puts the Emerson in the midst of them and says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child, that's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The humble. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift from God so no one can boast. When we get to heaven, nobody brags. Nobody's up there saying, I did this to get here because it's all a gift. We all, the only way to get there is by the grace of God. Here's the bottom line, friends. The kingdom of heaven is available to anyone, to anyone who has ears to ear, hear, and eyes to see. And the kingdom of heaven is the greatest treasure that you'll ever find in this earth. You find Jesus, forget about everything else. You found all you need. And you build everything on that foundation. And the kingdom of heaven is waiting on you. The kingdom of heaven is waiting on you. Think about that. We have to live with this urgency, right? We water the seed and we plant the seed. That's our job. Water the seed and plant the seed. Share your faith. Because the angels, they're ready to harvest. They are. Jesus is ready to establish his final kingdom. God is patiently waiting. The Holy Spirit is interceding. Yet we have work to do. We must share the good news. And if you know someone that's struggling in life, you know someone that's hurting, I suggest you share with them this verse in Matthew 11, verses 28, actually in 29. Two verses. Come to me. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, he says. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We don't just pray the Lord's Prayer. We live it out. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we need to do. And if you have ears to hear it today... Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Will you pick up your cross and follow Jesus? That's the question I want to leave you with as you think about who you can share your faith with. Because that's what it's all about. You share your faith, you plant the seed, you water the seed, and you see people turn to Jesus and they find the greatest treasure. They find the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for Matthew. I thank you that he was a sinner who found grace. Father, I thank you that we're all sinners, but we are saved by you, by a gift from God, by your son Jesus. Father, I thank you for Emerson today, her dedication reminds us all of the humility that we must have if we are to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
that we simply humble ourselves. Father, I thank you for Jesus who died for our sins. I thank you that he will come back, he will establish his kingdom, and we will live forever in peace. And we will know the great love that you have through your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.